For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, Bill Spadia here. Welcome back to the Speaking Podcast. This is another episode in our Speaking Recovery Series. Today we are joined by Daniel Regan, who heads up Relevance Behavioral Health. And of course, he is the founder of CFC Loud and Clear, one of the best, most active, and most important recovery groups for people who struggle and suffer and fight with addiction, honestly, that I have ever encountered. I've been working with them for years. And today uh, marks a very special day. Well, I don't have it exactly on the day, but within a few days, um, this is the 10th anniversary, 10 years clean and sober and 10 years with CFC Loud and Clear, helping literally thousands of people across the Garden State defeat addiction. Daniel, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for having me. So first of all, congratulations. 10 years sober. And I feel like I, I have to bring this up at the outset because this is something that has always stuck with me. And I repeat this story over and over again, that when you and I did one of our first interviews we did on the morning show, I remember you and your mom, Lynn, are are on one side of the of the studio um, desk and I'm on the other. And I said, hey, Daniel, I like it was like I was repeating talking points that I heard in the news. I'm like, I know it's a day to day struggle. And your mom shot me that look, which I'm sure you have been on the receiving <laughs> end. Very well. Yeah. Right. The look of what did you just say? Because what you just said was wrong. Yeah. And she explained it to me. She's like, no, you can defeat addiction. And you've done it 10 years strong. How do you feel? I, I feel great. I can't believe it's been 10 years. It, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's a weird time in the, in the concept of time. Like it feels like it's moving a million miles an hour. And then you look back and it feels like forever ago at the same time, you know? Um, and I, I mean, uh, it's an amazing feat. I can't believe I'm here. If you asked me 10 years ago, if you, if I ever pictured my life to be what it is today, uh, I, I would tell you absolutely not a shot. Um, yeah. And I wrote this little excerpt on, on my Facebook about, you know, achieving the 10 years and stuff. And, you know, it's looking back, it, it, it's I, I, the person that used to be in control is no longer here. Like it doesn't, he doesn't exist anymore. And he was replaced with the person that he never thought he could be. And, and like, it's a, it's just a great feeling to be here and, you know, look back on, uh, you know, really what, what is come into my life, uh, over the last 10 years and, um, being able to become everything I want to be and, uh, be able to put some good into the world. Uh, well, you're, you're now married. You, you and your wife, Alyssa have two beautiful kids. I, I mean, think about, would you ever thought you'd be a husband and a father, uh, responsible for other people in this world, right? You go back 10 years to whatever dark place you were in and here you are. Yeah, no, I've never, I, I couldn't even be responsible for myself at that point. Um, and I never thought I'd live this long, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the tail end of my addiction, I was at, living in an abandoned hotel, um, shooting methamphetamine and looking in the mirror and not even recognizing who that person is. And 
you know, making a promise to myself that it's not going to be too much longer of this. Uh, and, and to to look at that and to even think about that mindset today that that's where I was, it, I, 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 I can't believe I was thinking like that, you know, um, but that's what addiction does. It brings you to your knees and, and it makes you not believe in the future. Let's go back to that dark place for a minute, because I know you as a, as a winner in this, uh, having defeated addiction and here you are not having to think about it every day. It's not, you know, your life is now about the positive and the contribution and, and being a dad and a husband and the, uh, the head of these two big organizations. Um, go back to that dark day. And if you can relate it to people who are struggling now, a lot of people who will listen to this podcast have addiction crises in their own lives. Uh, they're either parents of kids who are addicted or they themselves are battling addiction. And, uh, you know, this is something that people who had, uh, you know, successes in their life all of a sudden find themselves tripping over this and falling into a really dark space. Where was your head at? And, and bring me back to the point where your mom literally chased you out to California where you were living in this abandoned hotel, found you, and the journey back started there. What was in your mind then? And kind of how did those first few weeks go? Well, and when I was in California, I went out there originally to, to get sober. Um, and I, I very quickly relapsed out, out when, once I left treatment. Um, and you know, you get into this shaming guilt of relapse, right? Like, like, unfortunately, it is a part to kind of fall on your face in any kind of recovery, you're going to make mistakes. And the biggest mistake that we make when when we fall down is that we don't get back up. And we kind of, and we kind of fall into that shaming guilt. And that's, that's what I was living in. I, I just I became, um, I, I always thought about myself as being a monster, that I'm this black sheep. <laughs> Um, I'm unfixable. Um, this is just going to be the story of Daniel. And I fell hook, line and sinker for that. And, and now looking back of it, back on it, I know it was my addiction talking, um, but I would fall deeper and deeper and do more and more and, and do crazier and crazier things to, to feed my addiction. And I didn't care that I, I, I put any kind of uh, morals and, uh, you know, conscious thought to the side because I really didn't know how to live with myself anymore. And, and once you get to a certain point, you start accepting the inevitable, which is you're most likely going to overdose and die. Um, and at that point, I didn't think that I was ever going to pull myself out of this. Um, and I, I was in that mindset living in an abandoned uh, hotel. And my mom, you know, it, she wouldn't accept her son being lost in California and dying. And she made a trip out there and found out where I was staying. Uh, and she literally kicked in this door where I was staying. And I was standing there with needle in, in my hand um, and this glow coming from the door. I thought it was the cops because it was just the door busted open. Um, and all I hear is my mom's voice and these beams of lights coming out, out of the door. And it was this very surreal moment. And I say it all the time. It was like, I, I regressed to like a four-year-old state. I, I just followed my mom's voice out of that hotel room um, and was completely compliant um, until I got back to uh, where my mom was staying and she was packing up my bags and, and whatnot uh, to get me on a plane where the psychosis of methamphetamine kicked in at that point. And I started freaking out. All those thoughts of you're not good enough. Why even try? It, you know, it seeing my mom there and how hurt she was seeing me in that condition made me angry you know it came out as anger but it, i was really sad that I, i'm putting my mom through this 
Um, and I started freaking out where to the point where they had to call the police department um, and EMTs and the police got there. I got into a huge brawl with them and they ended up get, putting me on a 5150. So 10 years ago, I was stuck in a psych ward on a 5150, literally in a padded room, freaking out. And now, what is a 5150? That's saying you're not mentally competent to take care of yourself? Is it what you're, was? Yeah, you're in danger of yourself or others. Um, so it's a 5150 is known in California. Um, we have a similar law here in New Jersey, but it doesn't quite work the same. It's a lot easier to get someone um, on a 5150 in California compared to New Jersey. Hmm. Um, and and it, it's something that does need to change because someone in my condition, I would have never ended up in, in treatment if someone, if the courts did not force me to go to treatment. Well, you're not making sound decisions at that point, right? So, so you find yourself in this, uh, in this hospital and, and what happened from there? How did, when did you come out of that psychosis? It, it took, it took about three or four days. Um, I, you know, I called my mom, I scream at her, you know, you're this, you're that. You know, bleep, 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 you know, cursing at her. And uh, I, I'd go, I'm leaving. And she would I'd throw the phone on the floor and she would hear me run across the the, uh, the way and try to jump like the counter of the intake, like the admissions office to get out wow. the, the, the doors. Wow. I tried to escape three or four times. And, and, you know, they would hit me in, in the butt with a shot. I'd pass out, wake up in a padded room again, do it all over. Wow. Um, and uh, about 72 hours in, my mom came in to to visit me and i just broke down i literally crawled into her lap and started crying um and it was uh it was just one of those those moments where you just lay down the sword and you're like you know what i i don't really believe in myself i don't really believe this is going to work but i'm tired i'm tired so i'm gonna do this one more shot Daniel, how do you relate that to people who come to you now? I mean, you've got both a CFC Loud and Clear, which is there for recovery and sober living. You've also got Relevance Behavioral Health, which you're you're treating people, you're working with uh, medical professionals. How, how is it related? Do you find that there's a stereotype? In other words, do you find that other people are kind of going through the same thing that you went through, or is it different for everyone? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, my story is not unique. I, I, I think the feelings across the board are, are very mutual in the sense that I think everybody gets to that, that point, that, that change needs to happen, um, that defeat, the shame and guilt, all, all those emotions are the same. I mean, how we got there might differ a little bit, um, but at the end of the day, we all end up in that same bucket, if you will. Um, and, and that's what we specialize in. And, and I, you know, we created CFC loud and clear for people that have been around to the seventh, 10th treatment center and nothing's working. You know, the person that feels completely self-defeated and that there's no answer for them. We've created a place where we're going to find that answer with you. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that we have the answer, but we could provide you with different opportunities to get there. And that's what the whole pr program was built on. Um, and, and obviously we took that model and we expanded it and now we have relevance uh, where we have our intensive outpatient and partial care. Um, and we just actually just recently expanded from just not just substance uh, use, but we just got our license for mental health. Wow. Uh, we're dealing with eating disorders, PTSD, uh, all that kind of stuff, especially in the wake of coronavirus and what's been going on lately. You know, I, the CDC just released uh, stats, 90,000 people in the last year passed away from overdoses alone. Isn't that amazing? It's so sad and disheartening. The lockdown is, has, has been such a killer. And it, it, you feel like the politicians, 
Now, you don't feel like it. You know it. You see it. They're disconnected. They don't care. It's about ego, running for office, raising money, sound bites, playing games with the media. Meanwhile, people are dying. Um, it, you know, it's that it took our governor so long to recognize that, you know, to release, uh, you know, substance use meetings, the self-help meetings, yeah, uh, yeah. To, to not have to follow the, those guidelines. And, and it hurt a lot of people. You know, it, we were trying to do everything we could at CFC and, I got to say, we really kicked in the gear. I mean, way, way more than I, I've seen across the board. A lot of places are still closed. Um, but we, you know, we, we started doing the virtual stuff, but that wasn't good enough. So then we did the drive-in uh, theater. Um, and then we had to start just taking people in and making sure people can speed space out enough. Luckily, we have a farm and a big barn that we can have meeting space and we're able to do something like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it was, we were really worried about our members and what that meant. Um, for them. Tell me what, uh, let's talk about CFC, Come Full Circle. What does it mean to you? What, why, why the name? Coming Full Circle? Uh, Coming Full Circle, um, it actually came um, from an idea of, I, I got into prevention work um, in my early recovery. And uh, I, would, I would tell my story and I'd work with teenagers. And, um, you know, I went to a lot of the high schools throughout New Jersey, middle schools and uh, even elementary um, and we, uh, I got to sit on that other side of the table and the feeling that it gave me being able to sit on the other side of the table, be able to be vulnerable. Um, and the, uh, yin and yang of going through that in my life, but bringing that joy, um, and coming full circle. So, um, we, we, we wanted to signify that and that feeling that comes when you get to sit on the other side and you get to help a parent, you get to help another person coming into recovery. And loud and clear came from because, uh, you know, a lot of uh, programs, uh, they have the um, basis to remain anonymous um, and that, you know, we should keep our uh, addiction or our story to ourselves because other people aren't going to understand that kind of thing. Um, where we, you know, I mean, you know, my mother, um, it, we, we were loud and clear about everything that we did and who we were. Um, so we kind of it was. Uh, kind of going against that Lynn, Lynn Regan your mom is a force unto herself she is yeah. uh she's a force of nature I think oh yeah and I love it I, I mean yeah. I, would, I wouldn't be here without that yeah yeah so what do you what do you tell other people you know there, there's so much to this I mean what do you attribute the success over 10 years I mean 10 years is a long time and you continue to grow actually you guys have grown exponentially in the past few years despite the lockdowns and everything else happening, you got through it all. Um, what, what is it? What do you think the key is? Because you compare it to, and you and I have talked about this before, a lot of the treatments out there, whether it's a, you know, a short period of time and then people are just like, okay, good luck. And you're back out into that element. But you and I have talked about uh, your success rate. And I don't want to misquote you, but I believe 95% um, do not relapse. And that's a, a going for years tracking them after their initial meeting with you. What do you attribute that to? Um, I, I, I think I think it's because we have the cornucopia of, of addiction. We really, um, we are a judgment-free zone in, in, in the sense that we, we, we let you choose your own path to recovery. So everybody hmm. there is essentially, they're there because they wanna be there and they are on the road that they built themselves. Although, uh, you know, CFC is the catalyst to, to, to that. Uh, every single one of them is running their own program, really. Uh, you know, we're just helping guiding that and providing the opportunities to make that happen. 
and, and I think that works. And, and, you know, we've been able to grow and expand because one, it, it's successful and there's a lot of people benefiting um, from the services. But, uh, you know, it's consistency that we've always had at CFC. And it's, a, you know, we've always been that homegrown kind of uh, program um, where, you know, if you need a goat to put on your head and stand in the corner of a room, we'll get you a goat. You know, we, 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 we're going to make it happen. And, uh, we truly care about every single one of the our goat members. thing is strange, right? This goat yoga is going on. Like, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was a joke when someone first told me that. No, I'm like, no, it's not. People are really into it. Yeah. Like, you know, I, you know, I practice hot yoga. I, I love yoga. It's great. Five times a week, life changing, never felt healthier in my life after a couple of years of doing this. But I don't get the whole goat on the back thing. Just don't yeah, get it. I mean, if I'm doing yoga, the last thing I really want is a goat on my back. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, I've dealt with goats my whole entire life. They, they don't tend to hold their, you know, their stuff inside. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, you guys are farmers. What do you know better than anybody? Yeah, we got, we got two goats on the farm. We got two goats, 10 chickens, two horses. You got the goats if somebody wants to do it. Um, yeah. So, so let, let's, let's, uh, let's dive in a little just on the, the parent side. I mean, you know, your mom chased you uh, literally across the country and 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 somehow was able to break through, find you. And, you know, that in and of itself is a movie waiting to be made. That's something we should talk about. That The whole journey and the struggle, I mean, it's just an amazing story. Um, but there are a lot of parents out there, they honestly don't know what to do. And and one of the things that I've learned in just working in, with you and your mom and your sister, the whole family uh, through the years is that, there is an element of tough love that a lot of times parents are are not unbeknownst to them they're enablers and the the their kids especially their adult kids in their 20s tend to get worse what what's some advice maybe you can offer the parents out there at least as a first step and maybe to help them not feel guilty when they do need to practice a little tough love but but what does that tough love actually mean yeah uh, i it, it one it's a balance and i think i think what 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 happens is that people are either at one extreme or the other um they're either you know uh, enabling and giving everything that that that's asked for right um it, it doesn't really count if you put up an argument and still give it at the end you're you know you're giving something um for for nothing out of it right and then you have the other end where you have the parents that just cut off like you're just you're just cut and um, I think it's hard to live in the middle because it's you're as a parent, you're caught on that teeter totter and the emotional distress that happens in that area takes a toll on you. Uh, and and um, which, you know, is never really healthy. But, you know, in terms of getting or motivating a loved one to make change happen, it is that uh, element of tough love of being able to, hey, I'll give you the opportunity to make a change. But. I'm not, I'm not going to support no change from happening. Hmm. So it, it, I, I'm not going to pay for a car. I'm not going to pay for a cell phone. I'm going to put a roof over your head if you're not actively seeking change, right? Uh, and that comes from, you know, you, I, I would suggest getting, getting some kind of counselor, a therapist, or even a support group that's going to help you build this family contract. Um, and if that's not abided by, you have to enact. You have to create a consequence to that. Um, what, what I see happen a lot is like people take this to take it to the level of where they put a contract in place and then it gets broken, um, which is inevitable. It, it's OK. But that's part of the process where now you need to show, hey, I told you that consequence was going to happen. And here it is. Right. And that consistency across the board, because when somebody's in addiction, we're not listening. 
We're trying to see which way we can angle our way out of it because that ultimately the addiction is in control. We, all we can think about is how am I going to get to my comfy blanket? How am I going to get to what I want? Right. And, and uh, we're not, we're not thinking straight. We're not thinking rationally. So it, we have to have those contracts and that consistency will imprint, you know, in, in our thinking of we're not going to actually get away with this. Maybe I should do something different. Right. It creates a pause in the, the loved ones thinking. What, what about siblings? I mean, you've got two sisters, you know, I, I can imagine what, uh, and I know, you know, Ashley in particular works directly with you and, and uh, was great to remind me that your 10 years was, was here so we could talk about it. And uh, I, you know, what's it like for siblings and what's advice for them? I mean, their role is so different than parents. I, I, I can imagine, especially if you start close and then you drift off into this dark world of addiction, especially if these siblings are not partaking. Yeah, I, for sibling, it's, siblings, it's really hard because you're usually innocent in, in the context of the family dynamics that are occurring. Mm-hmm. And um, the energy gets sucked out of the household. And, you know, you might be, you know, your brother or sister running around doing what seems like whatever they want um, and leaving the chaos at home where mom and dad are fighting. Um, and, you know, mom's crying dad's stressed all the energy is sucked away from you and you might be missing you know your dance recitals and stuff like that because you know we're picking you know dan up at the at the police station again like those things are occurring and um the biggest thing for siblings and what i find is that siblings can go one or two ways to become like that overachiever type of perfectionist mindset or we fall into that um curiosity kind of mindset of um well if they're doing this what's so great about it that you can Mm. leave this all behind and cause this chaos um so it's really important for for siblings to be able to talk about this and communicate this and your parents might not be the best person to do that with because they're caught up in their own mess so you know there's counselors specifically for this you know if you're in school you have your um sac counselors inside your high schools and please go and talk to them and, and you, you need to be able to let that out and vent that. Don't let it turn into some kind of negativity because this too shall pass. It, it, it will mm-hmm. pass. And, you know, my sisters will tell you, they, they would never believe this day ha- is here. Yeah. And, and it's not that it didn't not happen, but it's, it's almost, it's been so far along that, you know, it, it's not affecting their lives anymore. And, you know, they're grateful for who I became and, and, uh, how I'm involved in their lifestyle. Did, did the battle make you stronger? I mean, it's, I mean, just looking at you as this example of the quintessential American family, uh, unless someone knows the story, you literally would not know the story. They're your parents together, uh, you know, dancing at the gala and your sisters are there supporting you. And you, you know, it's like, you'd never know you guys are so close and here now you've got a lovely wife and two great kids. I mean, you'd never know it. Do you think the battle forged a much closer relationship? Oh, by, by far. Uh, you know, I mean, my family, you know, we communicate on a different level. We're, we're able to um, really tell each other what we're thinking and where we're at. And, and we work through things and we've become very solution based rather than problem focused. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the whole, uh, you know, ordeal is really taught us to 
be grateful for everything that comes into your life, the good and the bad. Um, and and uh, that kind of has echoed in every part of our lives today. So, you know, when things get hard and we deal, you know, life is life and, and we get thrown curveballs uh, no matter what, um, we're always able to kind of sit back and reflect on like how good it really is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even in the simplistic form of just being able to sit at the dinner table with your family, <laughs> break some bread and have a couple laughs. Um, I mean, that's what life is all and- about. And Daniel, your sober living is sober sober living for you, not necessarily everyone around you. you you've got, you know, you, your family will have a glass of wine and hang out and we'll, you know, we, we have these dinners. Is that Does that make it harder or or is it better because there's a normalcy around you? Um, I I mean, I don't even notice. I, I you know, the, the world, I, I, I've gotten into the mindset, you know, on this this uh, recovery journey that, you know, the world's not going to change for Dan. Dan has to change for Dan. Um, and and uh, so it's never really bothered me. I, I, I personally, it would bother me if everybody was trying to pretend to be something different because hmm. around that would make me feel weird. Um, you know, but you know, I think it makes me stronger. I, I don't, it's just, uh, it's just life. It, you know, I'm Dan and I, I'm the guy who doesn't drink at the table and that's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, and I've owned it and the people around me, you know, that, that that's just who I am. I'm still the life of the party and the crazy guy. I yeah, think. you are. Yeah, you really are. I gotta tell you, there's <laughs> no doubt about that. You get the strongest personality of anyone I know. Um, so for, for those people that are listening now that are in the throes of it, maybe they're, they, they're kind of on the tail end or they're getting help that they need and they're thinking about their future. They're thinking about, the next 10 years are thinking, I don't know that I could sit at a wedding table and not have a glass of wine. I don't know that I could, uh, you know, see an old friend and not want to uh, light up a joint. What, what, what do you tell them? What's the best advice for those folks? Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to the old saying one day at a time. Uh, you know, you do take it one step at a time. You, you can't do the, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, obviously we have to create, um, utilize different tools like therapeutic tools in order to get around obstacles that we know are coming our way. Um, but, you know, I got sober at 20. So, you know, looking at life ahead of myself and going, you know, I, you know, at first I was just like, I'm never going to stay sober my entire life. I got like 50 years at least left on this planet. <laughs> and I like, that's a long time to not do anything. Oh, you know? And I just couldn't conceive that, you know? Uh, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, don't, don't look that far. Don't, don't say forever. Like, don't, don't say those words. Although like, obviously that's the goal, but like, don't say that. Let's not get hung up on forever. I, I gave myself, I told myself, look in three years. Okay. Give yourself three good years of sobriety. Do everything you're supposed to do. Follow the book, the whole, the whole nine yards and see what happens. And at the end of that, if you decide that you want to go use then, then the power is yours. Right? And that's what I told myself. So instead of getting hung up on forever, I just, you know, put three year mark because that, that mm-hmm. seemed doable for me. Uh, and did you hit another three years after that? Or did you just say, I'm done with this. I don't miss it. I don't want to do it. Say, I, I, like at first, like at a year and a half, I'm like, okay, I got a year and a half left of my three years. So I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and, but then like three years came and by and all of a sudden it was four years. And I totally forgot about the three year thing. And I'm going, Oh shit, it's four years, you know, <laughs> yeah. someone said right. four years and I'm like, Oh, well, 
yeah, I don't want to do that. I'll give myself another three years. You know what I mean? And right, right, a, right. I didn't need to put any more marks it, it, because, you know, if you kind of just let go on that, like what things should be or what they should look like or what you should do. And you put those kind of infinite words of never, always, forever in, in sentences and in your mind and in my perspective, what happens is you kind of set yourself for, for failure because the world is not, it doesn't live in infinity. It lives in a, in a very gray area. So as time goes on and you're able to kind of just let go of all that stuff, life builds into this beautiful thing where it just, it, it's not, it's not worth the gamble. It's just not worth the gamble at the end of the day. Um, and now 10 years down the road and everything that I've put together, I, I'm not willing to put that at risk. Uh, uh, and, and that's how I live my life now. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I mean, it's just, it, it, there's so much, there's so much to it. Let, let's just, as we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about CFC and, and what, what, uh, what is the resource? Where, where do people go? So they're hearing this, they're like, I got a problem. I want to fix it. Or I've got a kid or a sibling or a friend or a spouse who has a problem. I want to fix it. What are they doing? In the old days, I was giving out your cell phone number on the air. Yes. I'm yep. thinking we graduated from that, right? We did graduate from that, um, although a lot of people saw my cell phone. Um, <laughs> now my cell phone goes to too many places. I was going to say, that that's a, a slightly unwieldy, right? Yeah. So what um, do people do? Yeah, so go, go to healingus.org. Um, you can go check out what, what we do online and, and see our, our full program. Um, and uh, if you need to reach out immediately, call 732-803-0518. And that is our main directory number. You'll probably get a hold of either Dan or Jay. Um, they'll answer the phone call and they'll be able to help you with whatever you need. Um, CFC has all types of programming from sober livings and housing to our, our uh, accountability program to our day programming uh, called IPRP, which we made available and created for people that aren't getting, uh, you know, extended level of care because they may have Medicaid or no insurance. Um, and this is a, a, a an extremely affordable way to get, um, uh, you know, extended care for yourself. Um, that is peer-based and peer-driven, and it seems to speak to people uh, a lot more um, and just gives people the time that they need before they really jump into the world and take on all those responsibilities and start dealing with those curveballs that we talked about earlier. Healingus.org. Daniel, congratulations. 10 years sober, 10 years successful. Father, husband, and um, great member of the family and the community. You really, uh, it, it, you're an inspiration to a lot of people and you, you've been that for a number of years and I'm, I am blessed to call you a friend. I really appreciate everything you're doing. And I know this is a lot of time out of your day. You got people to go help. So thank you. Thank you for joining me and uh, best to uh, best to everybody. And I will see you at the upcoming event. What, 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 what the date? I forget now. Are you coming to the, the I'm coming about to the farm rally. Motorcycle rally, or I don't know. You have so many events coming up. I, I we talk... have a lot. We have a motorcycle rally coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, <laughs> May sixteenth. Um, May sixteenth. We have the gala in August, um, and um, then hopefully, hopefully, we could have Rock the Farm this year. Well, I am committed to that. When if that is happening, and I, I hope it is. I really hope it is. I'm Rock the Farm, the governor, to uh, to to open up some uh, capacity limits. If you could pack tens of thousands of people into a stadium in Jacksonville, Florida to watch UFC fighting. 
we should be able to have rock the farm to help thousands of people overcome addiction. So, Governor, if you're listening, my God, pay attention. It's time, right? Yes. It's about time. I, I mean, about time. Well, I will see you certainly at the farm at the gala in August, and then I hope rock the farm too. So we'll keep fighting and uh, pressing these clown politicians in Trenton to pay attention to something other than their own egos for once and actually help people. Thank you, Daniel. Congratulations. Great to see you. Thank you, Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.